Good morning, church. I just love that song. I don't know what about it. It just makes me so happy. And I want to sing about New York, but you know, whatever. Um, we're so glad that you're all here with us today, whether you're here with us in person or you're here with us virtually. Um, we believe that you're here for a purpose today. We believe that God has a word for you. And um, we're just excited that we can we can spend some time with you this morning. Um, I want to take some time also and tell Pastor Trey and Pastor Carrie, who I know are watching, that we love them and we miss them. And we also miss Lawrence and Michaela, right? Our hearts are a little, <laughs> we're a little um, hurting today, but at the same time, so excited for what God's doing in their life. And we can't wait to see how God chooses to use them in this next season. Um, I'm so excited about this this sermon series that we're in. We're talking about evangelism in different ways that we can reach people for Jesus. Because y'all, there's never been a more important time in the history of the church for us to share Jesus with people, right? And Pastor Kerry preached a wonderful sermon last week, really equipping us to evangelize people. And I just want to go over real quick what her points were. Her first one was slow your roll. How many of us, I, I might be a little guilty of this, I, I just wanna just go all the way in as fast as I can. And she reminded us that we have to stop worrying about our own business and we need to be about the Father's business. It's not about what we think, it's not about what's, uncomfortable, what's comfortable for us, it's about the Father's business and what He's telling us to do. And then she said, know who your neighbor is. Um, we have a responsibility to those that God has placed around us and don't let fear or offense keep you from sharing the gospel. That's what the devil wants. He wants us to let those things keep us from stepping out and sharing what he has for us. But he, what she reminded us is don't let those things come in between you and what you're supposed to share with people. And then finally she said, take a risk. How many of you know that when we share Jesus, sometimes it's a risk. Like you can feel it in the pit of your stomach and you're like, I don't know if I can do but she's like, take a risk, put yourself out there. We have a responsibility and we have to be willing to put ourselves out there, our whole self, not just a part of ourselves. We have to be willing to be vulnerable to people and share our whole self with them. Remember, God blesses your ambition to evangelize. That was a good word. If you didn't get to hear it last week, go check it back out on Facebook or on our, our, our website because it was really, really powerful. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, I thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to come and, and share your word today. Father, there's nothing more important that I can think of than to share your heart with those around me, to share the love of Jesus with everyone I come in contact with. And so Jesus, today, I ask that you bless the words of my mouth. Let the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, Jesus, and let my words be your words. In Jesus' name, amen. So happy Palm Sunday. You guys, I have such great memories growing up of Palm Sunday, mainly, just to be completely honest, mainly because this started, um, it was usually close to my birthday, but, and I love my birthday, but it also meant I was going to get a bunch of new clothes. Like in our house, I didn't just get an Easter dress. I also got a Palm Sunday dress. So it was like building up to the big stuff, right? I loved Palm Sunday. I know that's vain, but whatever. I loved Palm Sunday. And I was studying the Palm Sunday scriptures, and I was thinking about um, what Palm Sunday looked like and Jesus coming in. They call it the triumphal entry when Jesus comes into the city of Jerusalem. 
And Josh and I were talking about this. We were talking about parades, what, what our favorite parade was that we've ever seen or been in. And I'm a band parent. I know y'all know this. But um, so I've seen a lot of parades, like so many parades, a whole lot of parades. And I started thinking about, Josh and I were talking, we're like, what's the coolest parade we'd ever seen? Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade was epic, epic. Our band marching in there, we're in New York City. I highly recommend it, once in a lifetime thing. You have to get up really, really early, so if you're not committed to it, I don't recommend it. But um, TV's good. But that was amazing. Um, Tori marched in the Chicago Thanksgiving Day Parade. It was cool, but it was so cold. You couldn't feel your face. Um, But still, really, a really great experience to be a part of. Um, And then all of the parades that the kids have done, all, like, y'all, there's a lot of parades. And then my other favorite parades, I, I love Disney a lot. And nobody does parades like Walt Disney World. Nobody. Right? Yeah. Nobody does parades like Disney. But ironically, mine and Josh's most favorite parade was at Six Flags over Texas in Dallas. And my youngest son, who's so mortified right now that I'm sharing this story. You'll understand why in a second. My youngest son um, was about two and a half, three years old. And we're, you know, it's the end of the night. Everybody's tired. We're like, but let's stay for the parade. It'll be fun. And so, you know, the different floats come by and then the different groups of people. And all of a sudden, this group of women come out. And before I tell you the rest of the story, these women were the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders. And the reason that's a big deal for two reasons. First of all, when I was six or seven, that was my actual life goal was to be a Dallas Cowboy cheerleader. I quickly got over it, but it was a life goal for me. But also, Josh and I are huge Dallas Cowboy fans. Yeah, at that point, y'all, it had been eight years since we'd seen any action from our team. Now it's been many, many, many more years, and I'm just wondering, Jesus, how long? How long is it going to be? But still fans, right? And our kids knew that we're big fans. So my youngest, David, the girls come out, the, the cheerleaders come out, and they start doing their routine. And David's eyes got this big. And he's sitting on his dad's shoulder so he can see all the action, right? And his eyes get big and he looks down at me and he goes, what is that? And I said, buddy, that's the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders. And he goes, I've never seen cheerleaders that look like that. And I said, yeah, it's the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders. They're a big deal. And then he says, the Dallas Cowboys, like, the, like your football team, the Dallas Cowboys? And I said, yeah. And he goes, I like the Dallas Cowboys, <laughs> right? Josh and I looked at each other and made a memory that will forever be etched in our minds as our favorite parade of the lifetime. So I, we're going to talk about the story of Jesus coming into this triumphal entry and his, the greatest parade. There will be no Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders at this parade, but that's okay because Jesus is there and he more than makes up for the lack of Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders. But let me just give you a little a little pre-story here. So Jesus, before he comes in, before we start this reading our scripture, Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead. 
So he would be at rock star status at this point. These crowds were worked up into this fever pitch of wanting to see Jesus. They wanted to know how close they could get to this Jesus that they had heard about all these miracles. But, y'all, he just raised someone from the dead. And he's coming into this city, and we want to be a part. We want to see him. Scripture does not really show us where, where the, this crowd was at. They were so excited. They, they, they pushed each other. They wanted to get as close as they could to him. And so Scripture tells us in Luke 19, 28 through 41, after saying all of this, Jesus headed straight for Jerusalem. When he arrived at the stables of Anaya near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples ahead, saying, when you enter the next village, you will find tethered there a donkey's young colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it to me. And if anyone stops you and asks, what are you doing, just tell them this. It is needed for the Lord. The two disciples entered the village and found the colt exactly like Jesus had said. While they were untying it, the owners confronted them and asked, what are you doing? The disciples replied, we need this donkey for the Lord. After he brought the colt to Jesus, he, they placed their prayer shawls on its back. And Jesus rode it as he descended the Mount of Olives towards Jerusalem. As he rode toward the city, people spontaneously threw their prayer shawls like a carpet on the path in front of him. As soon as he got to the bottom of the Mount of Olives, the crowd of his followers shouted with a loud outburst of ecstatic joy over all the mighty wonders of power they had witnessed. They shouted over and over highest praises to the God for the one who comes as king in the name of the Lord. Heaven's peace and glory from the highest realm now comes to us. Some Jewish leaders who stood off from the procession said to the teacher, Jesus, order your followers at once to stop saying these things. And Jesus responded, listen to me. If my followers were silenced, the very stones would break with praise. When Jesus caught sight of the city, he burst into tears with uncontrollable weeping over Jerusalem, saying, if only you could recognize that this day peace is within your reach, but you cannot see it. Now, y'all, I can only imagine the emotions that Jesus was feeling as he's coming into Jerusalem. Can you imagine, like, all these people are screaming and yelling his name and trying to get close to him? But he knows what's coming. He knows, and his heart has to be so heavy. He knows that these people that are screaming his name and telling him all these things, that he's wonderful, and, oh, Jesus, you're the greatest, and hashtag Jesus, right? They're loving him, but he knows what's coming. He knows these people will betray him. He knows these disciples that are walking alongside of him, the majority of them will turn his back, their backs on him. He knows what's coming. But in spite of that, the Bible tells us that Jesus is moved with compassion when he sees the city of Jerusalem. He sees, he knows. Uh, can, you, can you just with me, for, come, come with me for a second and think about the emotions that Jesus is feeling. He has to be hurting. And honestly, he's probably a little bit scared. He knows what's coming. But at the same time, as soon as he sees this city, the city full of souls, full of purpose, souls full of destiny, the Bible tells us he begins to cry uncontrollably. He is moved with compassion for a city that he knows 
will betray him. And as I was studying this scripture, I was thinking, Jesus, how can I do that? How can I have that kind of compassion? How can I be moved with that kind of compassion for my city, for the world that you've placed me in? How can I be moved with that same kind of compassion? And so today I want to talk about some ways that we can have that compassion, that we can model the compassion that Jesus modeled for us. And the first way is compassion equips us. And as I was really studying and digging into this, how, how can compassion equip us, I can't help but think of my own story in my life. And many of you have heard my story. But I grew up in church. My church was my whole life. I was born on a Thursday and I was in church that next Sunday. Literally my whole life. I don't know anything different than church. And when I was 16 or 17, <clears throat> this is one of the reasons I love teenagers so much. When they love Jesus, they are all in, right? All in. So passionate about the things of God. And they're willing to tell the whole world that Jesus loves them and they need to get right. And I was just like that. But one of the things in my life I was so passionate about was the subject of abortion. And I would have these long, heated discussions at school. I'll never forget. I'm so glad Jesus has so much grace, y'all. Because I was so passionate about this subject. So passionate about what I believed abortion was. And very, very, very judgmental against women who felt like that was their choice. Incredibly judgmental. And then fast forward four or five years, and I would be that girl. I would be that girl that was pregnant and scared. Pregnant, and all this time I had begun, I had said, oh, there's options. There's all these options out there, and there are. But y'all, those options did not look like options when I was in the middle of my story. And I found myself sitting in an abortion clinic. And I am so grateful every day, every day of my life and every day of my beautiful daughter's life that I found the courage to get up and walk out. It didn't change my circumstance, y'all. I was still pregnant. I was still pregnant and not married. But what did change in my heart was the compassion that I felt for those women that felt like that was their only choice. See, what God did for me was God took my story when I came to him with a heart that said, God, forgive me for what it is I've done and let me lay this down and let's, let's go forward, Jesus. And he did. And he took my story and he redeemed it in a way that only he can. But what else did, that he did was he allowed me to be able to connect with a group of women I would have never been able to connect to before. All of a sudden, I could come to these women and say, Jesus loves you right where you are. And whether you're thinking about it or whether you have, Jesus loves you and Jesus sees you. And your life has purpose. You have a destiny. This doesn't end your life. Now understand what I felt about abortion never changed. It still doesn't change. It is still one of the issues in my life I am most passionate about. But what changed was my judgment. My judgment was gone and it was just compassion. My heart is so full to this day of compassion 
for women who feel like that is their only story. That story does not and will not define you if you, if you, if you make sure that you don't let it. It does not define me. But it allows me to be equipped to speak to a group of people I could have never spoken to before. Do you know how many women I've been able to counsel and tell them that Jesus loves them? Do you know how many women have come to me and said, Dana, I had no clue that you went through that. Will you talk to me for a minute? How many women I've been able to say, Jesus loves you and lead them to Jesus? Y'all, that's everything. He took what I messed up and he said, watch this. I will redeem your story if you'll let me. That's how he equips us. He allows us to walk through stories and situations, maybe some that we should have never walked through. I should have never walked through that story. That wasn't what God wanted for me. That's not the story he wanted to write for me. But even then, because he's so good and so kind and so faithful, he said, watch this. Because you came to me with a heart that was broken and asking for forgiveness, I'm going to take you to a place that you never thought you could go and honestly didn't really want to go. But I'm going to use it for my glory. So think about the places that, you could, that you're in today. Think about the, the story that you're walking through. How can God take that story and redeem it? 1 Peter 3.15 tells us, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for your hope. But do this with gentleness and respect. Always be prepared to give a reason for your hope. If someone comes to me and, Dana, and says, Dana, what's the reason for your hope? I can tell them. I can tell them about my story. One thing that Billy Graham, the Billy Graham Association, the Billy Graham Association did a couple of years ago was they had this campaign that said, be ready to give your story and share your testimony in two minutes because you're going to lose people after two minutes. But always be ready to give an answer for your hope. You guys, God, I, I, I look around right now and I see so many different stories from so many of you. Stories of hurt. Stories of victory. And I don't want you to leave here today without the understanding that God has allowed you to go through that story so you can share your story with someone else. Sitting in this room right now, there are people that have struggled with infertility. Right now. And Jesus is saying, I'm redeeming that story so you can talk to somebody else that is walking through that struggle. You can speak to people that I could never speak to. And you can speak to a hurt that accompanies that. Or people that have struggled with broken marriages. You can speak to, to husbands and wives and say, keep going. You can do this. I know because I've been there. Jesus heals and restores marriages. Your story has a purpose. God has equipped you with a story that will change lives if you let him. And then the next thing that, that I believe compassion does is compassion connects us. I love how Jesus does this. Jesus takes compassion and he's like, I'm going to take this and I'm going to let it come into every aspect of your life if you'll let it. And it connects us. Compassion is going to allow us to feel connected with people that maybe. We're like, I don't have anything in common with these people. Um, God, I'm a band mom, and, well, they're not. 
And you have to know if you live in the band bubble, it's kind of everything, especially in the fall. Um, there's a hundred things that you think should connect you to people, and sometimes you're like, I don't, I don't have a connection. But the cool thing is that compassion connects us to people that really don't make sense. Jesus, when he came into Jerusalem, was moved with compassion for a city full of people that he probably didn't have a whole lot in common with. He was moved to, to compassion with the sight of the Pharisees who hated him. He loved them. But the thing that I have noticed in my life is that evangelism with compassion is going to require us to walk in some uncomfortable places. It's going to require us, like Jesus, to walk into a city full of people that we know don't like us and maybe disagree with us. And y'all, this whole year has been a whole lot of disagree with us, right? But evangelism says, I need you to walk into some uncomfortable places. Several years ago, a group of us from church spent my most favorite Valentine's Day ever. And we took roses to prostitutes in Austin. And you guys, I learned so many things on that trip. Um, I learned that all prostitutes do not look like um, Julia Roberts and Pretty Woman. Um, that is not what they look like, in case you're wondering. And I'm not saying go seek it out. I'm just saying <laughs> they don't look like that. I'm saying what they do look like is a lot of hurt, a lot of brokenness, a lot of there go I but for the grace of God, right? And y'all, while we were out there handing out roses, not for any other reason, not to, not to promote ourselves, not even to promote our church, but just to promote Jesus, we got to tell these women, we would hand them a rose and we would just say, hey, we just wanted to tell you happy Valentine's Day and Jesus loves you so much. And you guys, over and over, these women were blown away. Blown away that we were there spending time with them on Valentine's Day. Y'all, these women were not being told they were loved by Jesus. But we were there and something happened in my heart while we were there. My heart was moved with so much compassion for each one of them and y'all we got to pray with them about situations that they were going that were they were going through in their lives and I will tell you it is probably one of the greatest honors in my whole life to be able to pray with those women and some people would think that's crazy that I would think that's an honor but it is always an honor when someone allows you a glimpse into their story a glimpse into their life and I got to do that we all got to pray with these women who on paper it looks like it, it, we have nothing in common with them but Jesus says let me connect you in ways you couldn't even imagine think about Jesus and his disciples when we're talking about fit things that don't fit right? You have some fishermen, you have a tax collector, you have a doctor, you got a homeless guy. But Jesus looked at them and he saw them and he said, there's a connection here. I promise there's a connection here. Trust this. 
Trust this and watch what I'm going to do. Jesus saw them and he loved them. That's what my heart is. God, let me just see people the way you see them. Give me your heart. Give me your eyes to see people the way that you see them. And then one thing that I love about connection is that compassion allows us as the church to be connected. As the body of Christ. We can look together at the lost, together at the broken, together at the hurting. And when we do these things together, we become more unified. There are two things that are missing in our society today, compassion and unity. Am I right? Those two things don't seem to be in big supply right now. But the church gets to model that with compassion. We can say we're going to be connected and the issues that divide us, they divide us. But the things that we hold in common are so much more important. And we're going to chase after the lost together. We're going to chase after the broken together. Y'all, some of the most important relationships in my life, the most influential relationships in my life, are the ones that don't make sense. But because I said, Jesus, I just want to, I want whatever you have for me. I want whatever relationships you have for me. He said, here, watch this. I'm going to sit you with some friends that do not make sense. And they're going to change your life. So I want to challenge you today to find those connections. And then our last point is compassion compels us. When the Holy Spirit begins to highlight other individuals, when he begins to highlight individuals to us, we're going to feel this stirring inside of us, right? And we're going to be like, what's happening? I feel like this force field, this is a little uncomfortable, um, it makes me think about like those movies you see the aliens are pulling towards you, pulling you towards them, and you're like, no. But that's sometimes what it feels like, right? You're like, I don't, I don't think I want to be a part of this. But we feel compelled towards people. Compassion is going to compel you towards people and individuals that you would not normally feel compelled towards. I just love that because Holy Spirit is always working for those divine appointments always working to position us for those divine appointments. And what I love is that over and over in Scripture, we are told, we are told what Jesus, when Jesus was moved by compassion. In Matthew 9, 36, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. In Matthew 14, 14, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. In Matthew 15, 32, Jesus called his disciples to him and he said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and they have nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. In Matthew 20, 34, it says, Jesus had compassion on them and he touched their eyes and immediately they received their sights and follow him. Compassion compels us just like it compelled Jesus. But do you notice every time Jesus was moved with compassion, what came right after it? The miracles. Because when you're compelled with compassion, that's when God moves. Because what happens is you've moved God's heart, right? You've moved God's heart, and that's when the miracles start happening. Over and over and over in Scripture, Jesus has modeled to us what compassion looks like. Another thing that compassion does is compassion is always going to compel us to choose. Always. It's going to compel us to choose compassion over offense. That's a big one right now, right? Because if you want to be offended, you don't have to look far. 
Compassion, we, um, we, we choose compassion over divisiveness. That's a good one too. We choose compassion over personal hurt. We choose compassion over self. And when we do that, it honors God every time. Every time. You guys, several months ago, we sang a song here. And I was here at Thursday night practice. We sang the song again today because the worship team loves me. <laughs> um, and it's says, I just want to move your heart. I just want to move your heart, God. And y'all, when I heard that song the first time, something in me broke. Something in me broke at the thought of, God, how do I move your heart? And y'all, this last year, it's been a struggle for a lot of us, right? Not just because of a global pandemic, but because of everything that came with it and came after it. Lots of hurt. Lots of hurt. Lots of hurt in the global church. And I began to pray over and over again, God, I want to reflect your heart and I want to move your heart. How do I do that? How do I do this, God? How do I move your heart? And in the middle of all this praying and asking God, how do I reflect your heart? I lost a friendship, a friendship that has been dear, dear, dear to me, very precious to me for many years. And I lost this friendship because at the beginning, when I asked God, how can I reflect your heart? He told me, I need you to be quiet. Well, I don't know if you guys know me, but I have a lot of opinions. I have a lot of opinions just about everything. Like, if you give me a second, I'll find one. And there were so many things this year to have opinions about, right? Important stuff, too. I don't want to gloss over the important stuff because it's important. But God told me I had to be quiet. And because of my silence, I lost a friendship. And I did not. I didn't know how to really process that because I was hurting. And I didn't understand why I was losing a friendship when I was just doing what God had told me to do. God told me I need you to be quiet. And I would have conversations with God. But God, if I could just let them know, no. No, you be quiet. And then we sang this song. We sang the song, I just want to move your heart. And I began thinking about this relationship again. And I had been in such a place of hurt. I did not understand what was happening and why. And I would have conversations like, well, God, they should know my heart. They should know who I am. I shouldn't have to say anything. All those things are true. But when I began to pray and ask God to let me move his heart, my heart was moved with compassion for this person. And God allowed me to see their hurt, their disappointment, their very real fear. And my heart was moved, moved with compassion for them. The bridge of this song says, is it a fragrance? Then God, I'll pour my oil out. 
Is it a life laid down? Then here I give my vow. Is it a song I sing? Then here's every melody. I just want to move you, God. What does it take today for us to move the heart of God? Compassion. When, you, when God sees you use compassion, it will move his heart every time. Every time. Church, I said earlier that we have never been positioned more historically than we are right now. There's never been a more important time for us as the church to rise up and be the church that God called us to be. And the way that we're able to be that church is his heart. To move his heart with compassion. We're coming into Holy Week, right? The most important week of the church year. There's never been a better time to tell people about Jesus and say, hey, come with me to church. If you're online, do one of the watch parties on Facebook and have people come to church with you on Easter Sunday. We want them to know that Jesus loves them. When we get to heaven, we want them to be there with us. Let's ask God this week to move our hearts with compassion like his hearts. His heart is moved for us over and over again. Jesus, I thank you so much. I thank you so much for modeling your heart for us. God, I thank you that you have put us in a place and a position so we can share your word with people. God, we thank you for divine appointments over and over again. God, you're going to position us this week with divine appointments to help lead people to you. Jesus, I ask today for every person here in this room and every person viewing online that you place them strategically this week to lead souls to you. Father, I ask them to be moved with compassion. I ask you to help us to remember this week that it's just about moving your heart and making you smile. We love you so much, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.